0: hey i'm just realizing there's only a few more weeks of me hearing this song
1: i i need to i need somebody with more iphone experience to get this as a ringtone
0: I remember when callbacks were a thing or ringbacks. Yeah, yeah. One second while Warren Sharp picks up his phone. How is everybody doing? How you living? How you feeling? How you moving? How you doing? It is L E F K O E man, and Warren Sharp is in the building for what he has already called his favorite weekend of the year: divisional
1: round. Every year, best weekend. Uh, doesn't even matter to me. I
0: had multiple people text me over the weekend your tweet of your replay hack, that if you have two TVs, you pause one, and that you wait so that you get free replay. Uh, and everybody responded with, this guy is a freaking genius. <laughs> um, but I can't set a ringtone. Yeah, apparently. How? What? What is your level of excitement for these games? I know we have a lot of big spreads. I see nine, seven, nine and a half, and four but just to get a little more explanation why is this your favorite week of the year is it for betting or is it for viewing
1: it's it's for viewing because you've got the four best teams in the league who had extra time to heal up rest get ready for this game. And then you take the four teams that are the hottest, right? They played week 17, all these, you know, they're not off of a, a recent buy, but they're rolling, right? You know, most of these teams, they did not win their division. So they were probably playing hard in week 17. Right. So they're playing hard week 16. They're playing hard week 17. Week 18 is a winner, lose winner, go home type game. And so they have to play hard there and then boom, here they are.
0: That's why they are most excited for Saturday night. Cause I think that's the best matchup of what you're saying. Tennessee might be the hottest, scariest team in the NFL and Baltimore is like the best rested team. That feels like exactly what you're talking
1: about. And and the other thing too that I love about this is just look at the quarterbacks and these games. It definitely feels like this is the future. You know, um, oh yeah, with, with New England getting knocked out, like there's fresh well, New blood England here,
0: and and Saints, yes, two of the older guys are gone. Older we QBs, got, yeah.
1: older coaches. Uh, now you got a little bit younger guys, both quarterback, head coaching, play callers. Um, you know, sometimes that'll come back to haunt you. Like it's going to be really interesting to see the the matchup of the. Two young quarterbacks, but one coach who's been around the block successfully in Kansas City. Right. And you've got that other coach who will get into this game, but very inexperienced, doesn't do things always the right way. So, yeah, that's going to be a fascinating one.
0: I'm going to set a timer for all four of these games because what I've just doing some self-scouting, we always end up spending more time on the first game and then we end up trying to catch up at the end. And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to set 15 minutes for each one. Uh, We're going to do EDSR. Just how does it match up one through four? Uh, You really want to talk about weather because unlike last week, all of these games are outdoors and it could play a huge game because we do have talented quarterbacks and it can change everything. Um, But the one thing I wanted to talk about just from wildcard weekend, before we start divisional round, the one game that was the biggest shock. I know that everyone thought New England losing was a shock, but the biggest spread of the weekend was the saints over the Vikings. And Unfortunately, with the way that our media is currently constructed, it turned into if Kyle Rudolph was called for offensive pass interference, then the Saints could have won that game. And it's like, no, you had issue with Sean Payton most of the game. And I I just kind of wanted to give you a pulpit really quick to explain what happened in that game and why the Vikings have moved on to the divisional round instead of the Saints, who looked like a Super Bowl team all year long.
1: All right, so let's break this down, and we're going to talk more about the Saints when we get there. But there's a few tactical errors. Some were more obvious to the untrained eye just because of, like, what the hell? He's got a timeout, and he's taking it with him. He doesn't even use it in the game. Uh, So there was multiple instances of that. But just strategically, okay, this team, the New Orleans Saints, we know there's one problem area that they have. If you can get pressure up the middle on Drew Brees, you're going to struggle. So what does Mike Zimmer do? He comes out of the out of the like uh, uh, Art of War style yep. where he does something that the other team's not prepared for, right? So he rotates his defensive end on the inside, and then they start putting the pressure Everson up the Griffin
0: middle. Griffin was right over the guard the whole game.
1: And, and immediately, first series of the game, he's doing this shit. Uh, spin moves, everything, and getting pressure on Drew Brees right up the middle, making it uncomfortable. And... What was the tactical change from Sean Payton? He didn't do anything in the first half. At halftime, what he ended up doing is he ended up going less 11 personnel, a little bit more heavier sets, and he reduced the air yardage. We're going to talk about this as it relates to the matchup with the San Francisco 49ers in a minute. He reduced the depth of target. He got the ball out of Bree's hands quicker. Right. But they should have from the get-go. In that first half, I think, and I will pull up the numbers in a minute, they were like 90 one or 95% 11 personnel when they pass the football in the wow. first half. And so effectively... And what's so funny about that is, why, who are the three wide receivers the Saints would want exactly, to have on the field? Exactly. And so you're spreading yourselves out. You're creating no ability to have... I mean, most of the time that running back is leaking out. You know, you're not having yeah, Kamara Kamara's come in block. there and pass pro. Yeah. So he's, he's going out and their tight end is going out too. Very rarely would he be in protection. So... Like, it really was, Zimmer, whoever you're throwing, we got our five here. We're wow. going to try to work it So you it really around. see
0: Sean Payton may have been so in love with his Game, like plan. game plan, that he just didn't adjust in the first half
1: quickly which, enough. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be very quick to make these types of adjustments. Again, I'll tell you the exact percentages momentarily, but they were much more efficient when they were passing the ball out of the
0: more Jared Cook in other sets half. in the second Absolutely. half.
1: Now, the other thing tactically, you know, you have uh, the end of the first half where he failed to call timeout correctly, and he did the exact same thing at the end of the second half and basically ended up settling for the long field goal attempt. In the first half, uh, what happened was he called a timeout When the Vikings were, I think, approaching like a second down near the end zone, he called a timeout to try to save time so that if he were to get the ball back, because I forget, let's say there's like three minutes left. If he were to get the ball back, he'd have a little bit of time to work with it. But then the Saints go on that very next play and convert a first down. So they got first and goal. And he doesn't call his timeouts. He still has two left. He doesn't call them. He allows the Vikings to continue to burn just clock, milk the clock. Milk yeah. the, clock. the Vikings, and, and what I've seen, just as an aside, what I've seen is when a coach will call a timeout before that first down, inherently what the other coach on the other sideline starts that thinking is— down. Well, you got the first down. Okay, oh, yeah. So on first, you got the first down. It's going to be first and 10. The clock is rolling. But the one coach who's on defense calls a timeout. Inherently, what that coach is who's on offense says on first down is like, I want these guys to burn their timeout, so I'm going to run the ball. And so you're almost like encouraging them to call a couple of runs, which are very bad in in terms of, like, general efficiency, and that would have been beneficial uh, to to encourage them to do that. At any rate, they end up going and scoring a touchdown, and now he gets the ball back to start the second, uh, like, after the kickoff. The guy has, like, a 50-yard return into Vikings territory, the Saints' uh, kickoff returner, but they only have uh, a few seconds left and they end up, I think, going into the locker room with one extra timeout and the guy shanks a field goal right, right before that. Then the fourth quarter comes around and he's got a timeout that he doesn't end up using and they end up going to the to the overtime with this extra timeout that he never even burned right. that he could have had the opportunity to. So he wasted time. He could have had po- an easier field goal or possibly a touchdown mm. if he used the time better at the end of the first half. And then in the second half, they could have won the game yeah. instead of just kicked that long field goal to send it to overtime, which of course- And they now lost. we have Minnesota moving on. And now we have Minnesota moving I just wanted on. you
0: to be able to talk about that because a lot of times coaching bad coaching decisions can get masked by some form of controversy that it didn't need to come down to that. They didn't even need to be in overtime. I, I, I thought Zimmer out-coached Peyton yes. in every aspect of that game. Yeah. And I, And when we looked back, it was like one of those things where, and this is one thing we're going to do today too, which is everybody was on the Saints. Everybody. And so one thing I'm going to have Warren do, because we got big lines this week, is how could this go wrong? If everybody's feeling so confident, how can you go the other way? It's what you do in the stock market. It's what you do in betting. It's you find the inefficiencies. Let's start off. First game on Saturday is going to be Minnesota, the team we were just talking about, at San Francisco, 435 kickoff, Levi Stadium. It's going to be on NBC, WNBC, the line as it stands right now. San Francisco favored by seven. Where did this line start off at? Was it six and a half? Uh,
1: yes, it was six and a half uh, when it opened at most books. Yep. And it it took a little bit of sharp money, moved it up to seven. And it's basically just been sitting right there at seven. I'm looking at VSIN's
0: numbers right now. Uh, it's really about 50-50 in terms of betting the spread. In terms of betting money line, 62% is actually going on the Vikings' That's because uh, the homies out there trying to get that money.
1: Yeah, payout. Yeah,
0: they want that plus 250. That's how it stands right now as we record on Thursday. Um, let's talk about weather. Yep. We are in in Santa Clara, California. I imagine it's going to be nice weather. Is that going to be an issue?
1: It's not going to be an issue here. We're looking at temperatures right around 55 degrees uh, okay. at kickoff. Precipitation, there's supposed to be rain overnight into Saturday morning, but by 10 a.m. local time, that should go down to a 0% precipitation. We're going to be around 13 to 14 mile per hour winds with gusts around 19 to 20. That really is fine. That really is fine. You don't really want winds like 17 to 20 with gusts higher than that, but 13 to 14 mile per hour winds should be just fine. So I see nothing wrong. And it is interesting why we have to talk about it. It's January. Most of these other games are in colder weather towns. And in addition, no dome games. So it's a little bit unique.
0: EDSR, who has the advantages in this game?
1: So um, over the course of the entire season, uh, EDSR... The it's very tight. Um okay. it's it's super tight. San Francisco has a slight edge um in full season EDSR. Okay. But when we look at um like the trending data, yeah, it becomes a little bit stronger towards San Francisco. It still is the weakest of the four. Okay. So Minnesota has a little bit more edge here, but part of the reason why is because San Francisco's defense, especially towards the end of the year when a lot of their guys were injured, ha- sort of fell off. Right. And they're got they're getting some guys back from injury, including D. Ford. Yep. Uh, in the secondary as well. So they're going. to Juan Alexander coming back too? I think. I'll check it's that, out. that out. You check that out, but I think Quan may be coming back. So we're still in this situation when we start breaking down the game, where Minnesota's EDSR offensively is pretty terrible. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about
0: Quan yeah, Alexander was limited on on Wednesday, but he was back practicing. Yes, and D Ford. Okay, uh, how about this? In this game, what jumps out to you first? What's the most interesting part of this matchup? Because I'm telling you, Warren did some crazy research this week. The, so what, what jumped out to you?
1: The first thing, the first thing is, what do I think San Francisco is going to do here, and where will they have an advantage? And it's in running the football. They're, obviously, Jimmy G doesn't have a, as much playoff experience. They're going to want to try to run the football. So the interesting element here is that the Minnesota Vikings, on the season, are by far the worst run defense against twenty-one personnel in the entire NFL. When you say by far, how dramatic? I'm saying that the average is a 48% success rate against 21 and 4.4 yards per carry. They are allowing a 74% success rate and 6.7 yards per carry. And this is against
0: two running backs, one tight end. And I don't know if anyone's better than Kyle Juszczyk and George Kittle like the Niners have.
1: Who runs the most from 21 in the NFL? I would imagine it's Niners. Yes. And then the
0: Patriots were probably second in most years.
1: Correct. Okay. The Niners are 31% of their run plays come from 21. The NFL average is only 11%. Wow. So 20% over the average. 20% over the average. Now, I looked back and most teams, I just said, the NFL average is 11%. Most teams are not running frequently from 21. So in most games, it's, you know, Three carries here, five carries there, one carry here. But the interesting thing is, as you look over the course of every single week, it's not as if they had two or three really bad games where they played a team who ran a lot from 21, and so that's skewing the numbers. Every single week, their opponents are having pretty consistent success against them when they run from 21. Now, I will say that I went back and looked at week one of the 2018 season, which was Jimmy Garoppolo's first year with Kyle Shanahan. It was a game that they played, Mike Zimmer and the Minnesota Vikings, and they were not very good when they ran from 21. But I think this is a good... Time to talk about this element of it. As a caveat, Kyle Shanahan's system takes time to figure out. Oh, yeah. If you talk to a bunch of the quarterbacks around the league, including Matt Ryan. Yeah, Matt Ryan the first year. The first year, not so good. Right. Second year, MVP Boom. season, go into the Super Bowl. Right. Almost winning it, should have won it. So. Kirk Cousins in Washington, sure. So a lot of those guys have a lot more success in that year, too. And so the first year with Jimmy in this system— And it was the first game of the season. The first game, week one. And I think Kyle was maybe going—being a little bit too, uh, let's say, predictable with some of his play calling at that point in time. I think he's got the opportunity to be a lot more creative here. So that's the first element is— how often they're going to run from 21, which should be a fair amount, and how bad Minnesota's been against it this year, which has been the worst in the NFL. All
0: right, so we're expecting the Niners to be able to have a lot of success running the ball in this game from there. And what else from this game jumps out
1: Okay, so a few things, and we're going to go harken back to the Saints game last week. Harken. We're going to hearken all the way back to a few days ago. Um, so New Orleans was actually great when they passed from heavier sets. I just talked to you earlier at the top. What did Peyton do wrong? Too much 11 personnel. They were 93% 11 personnel in the first half. They only threw one pass attempt from something other than 11 personnel. Um, they... Those 11 personnel passes had an average depth of target of over 12 yards and they had a 33% success rate. So he was spreading them out 11 and throwing the ball too far down the field. Right. In the second half the halftime adjustment was use less 11, so 93% went down to 61%, lower the a dot. So he reduced the a dot down all the way a dot's average depth down to 5.3 yards downfield from 12.2. So over half and they increased their passing success all the way up to from 33%. Up to sixty-five percent. And
0: I feel like the Niners live in short depth of target with
1: Yak. They do not throw the ball deep down the field. Uh, maybe uh, Jimmy G has occasional Sanders
0: deep balls, occasional.
1: Right. Jimmy G has one of the lowest, I think it's only like five percent of all of his attempts go like twenty plus yards wow. down the field. So he's one of the lowest in the league at doing that, and they don't throw much from eleven. So boom. Automatically the default offense that San Francisco utilizes should have some success. The other interesting thing about this game from that side of the football is that New Orleans was really good against the Vikings Can I on first one down? thing really quick? Yep.
0: Uh, I'm going to teach you something. We're going to go with New Orleans. Okay. Not New Orleans. As someone that lived in Louisville, Kentucky, and people hated Louisville... We're going to switch it from New Orleans to New Orleans. Okay, you can
1: even I don't, say Nolans. I don't think I'm going to pick up on that now, so I'll just say the Saints. Okay? You'll Sounds have to, good. We'll, we'll have to work on it down in South yeah, Beach yeah. in just, a couple I'm, of weeks. No, I'm working on it. Okay? Let's work on it South Beach Sorry in a couple of weeks. Sorry
0: about that. Didn't mean to ruin your flow.
1: No, no, no. By all means. <laughs> if I'm saying something wrong, <laughs> tell me about it. Uh, so the Saints were really good on first downs but much worse on successive downs, second and third downs especially. Minnesota is really good on third downs in general. So last week, on first down passes, the Saints average over the course of the entire game, and I already told you they weren't that good in the first half. The entire game, first down passes, 11.1 yards per attempt and 78% success. Second down, that drops down to 5.1 yards per attempt and only 50% success. Third down passes, 2.1 yards per attempt, and 25% success. So really good first down, really mediocre, below average second, and horrible on third. The 49ers are the NFL's number one first down passing offense from a yards per attempt perspective. They average 10.2 yards per attempt. They have the fifth best success rate on first down passes at 59%. So what they have to do is they just have to choose to come out and be balanced and throw the football a little bit more often on first down. Kyle does that naturally. Kyle does that, but I don't want him to get a little bit too conservative with Jimmy G in his first game and playing at home. Okay, we don't have to come out. Don't lose the game early, that type of crap. You got to start off doing the things that are going to provide you with the best advantage because what do we know more than anything that's like, I don't want to say who I was working with on this, but they're one of the best in the NFL at it. Come out and get a halftime lead, and make that other team adjust their strategy at halftime. Right, you got to try to do that. And so Kyle's got to come out and try to be aggressive early and call the plays that are going to give him the highest success rate.
0: I went back just to to see how Kyle did in his last game <clears throat> with a buy, and they went out there. That's when they hung up thirty six on the Seahawks with that Super Bowl Falcons team, and they they shot out to a nineteen ten I think it was first half lead, but they came out firing right away. Now it's a it's a different offense. That one was more vertical. The Niners is more horizontal. But I think what you're saying about jumping out early will be key. Do you have anything about the Vikings?
1: Yep. That could be to their advantage. Yes. So um, the number one thing that they need to do is on the second and long situations. They are actually the most number one run heavy team in the NFL. Surprise, surprise. That's why they're I'm so sure bad it's them, on early downs. The Bills downs. and the Texans. Yes. The te- actually, the Texans did a little bit better this year, but it's Minnesota is the most run heavy, but they only average a 30 percent success rate. Number two was the Indianapolis Colts, but they averaged a 49 percent success wow. rate, so nearly 20 percent better. Detroit Lions were number three. That Matt Patricia, yep. he averaged a 35 percent success rate, which is better than the Vikings 30. Then, of course, Adam Gase what is he doing? Who their, their, their success rate was down at 25%. The so only average 3.1. And long, second
0: and long, Zimmer's running the ball a lot.
1: Second and long, they run the ball nearly 50% Stephansky. of the time. Stefanski, okay. nearly 50% of the time. They need to pass the ball a little bit more there because you do not want to be in a situation where you're in obvious passing downs against this pass rush on the road. And I think it's... Night and day different playing in a dome where you're sort of familiar with than playing on the road outdoors. Um, But the thing that's working in their favor the most, and this is important and we'll fit this in in the time frame that we've got allowed, um, is the lack of run defense for the 49ers at the perimeter, at the far edges. Interesting. Okay, so Dalvin Cook and the Minnesota Vikings offense actually run the ball this season, 18% of their rushing attempts go to the far left end and 17% go to the left tackle. Most teams are about 30% behind the center and then they progressively get lower as you work to the perimeter. Right. But they are very much a, we're going to run to the left yeah, nearly... 35%. Nearly, y- y- yeah, almost 40%, 35%. And Minnesota is good at doing that. They have got like a very good success rate when they do that offensively. San Francisco is really good defensively against runs to the left tackle, but perimeter runs, when you're going outside the left tackle, you know, I'm not going to go into all the semantics and specifics about the exact run plays that they're calling and the types of runs, that's we don't have time to go into that, but when you're working the perimeter, San Francisco is really bad defending those runs, all right. and they're averaging they're actually allowing this is five point good- seven yards per carry on runs to the left end, wow. and that's where Minnesota likes to run, and right, so especially guys, on first down. Pay attention to
0: that during the game. If you see Cook or all those guys, and you're like, "Why can't the Niners stop them on the left outside?" This is why. All right, I'll be paying attention to that.
1: First down runs to the left end, 6.8 yards per carry average by the Minnesota Vikings over the course of the season.
0: So the Niners need to throw on first, and the Vikings need to run to the outside left end on first. Okay. Interesting. It, It sounds like, though, of all your nuggets, the Niners have a distinct advantage in this game. It it just feels like it's going that way. The Kirk Cousins indoor outdoor splits. The fact that Zimmer was familiar with Sean Payton, but Kyle Shanahan has been able to to torch him in recent years. And then it, it it if it's Kirk Cousins against that pass rush that is now healthy, it just sounds like it's all leaning Niners in your book.
1: I think this is a game that the Vikings scare me a little bit because. If they hit those plays, right? They hit the big play to Adam Thielen, right? These types of things can change the game. If they're consistently getting production on first downs, I think they're going to have success. But what it sounds like to me is that the two guys in the secondary that they were without last week are going to be absent this week as mm-hmm. well. What it also feels like to me is that Sean Payton did not maximize his opportunities offensively against the Forty Nine uh, against the, the Saint against the Vikings last week. And I think Kyle Shanahan with time to prepare will be able to. I also think there's been some people talking about, oh, well, the Vikings knew that if they won the game as the sixth seed, they'd be playing the 49ers. So their advanced scouts could start working on it before that game. And for me, I I can just say that from experience, I know that, and I'm not I'm not going to divulge anything, but from experience, I know in general that if you're a team like the 49ers, you know that there's only three teams that you can face in this next round because if the saints win, they're going to be going up to Green Bay. You know you don't have to right. play them. So you're playing any of the other three teams. You're either playing Philadelphia, Seattle, or Minnesota. They don't need to, they advanced don't need scout to play Seattle. Advanced Scout Seattle whatsoever. So I'm sure on Monday and Tuesday they did a little bit of work on Philly and they did a little bit of work on Minnesota. And guess what? That was before the Advanced Scouts were working on their team, on the 49ers, because they – have to first prepare for right. the, the, te- the Saints, and then they can go and start working on the next week. So I don't think that that's an issue at all. I definitely have. I think that if the 49ers do more of what they do, they will. and by that I mean what they normally do, you don't have to change a lot of your right. game plan and tactics to have success against Zimmer's defense. I think Minnesota's defense can be had. They're a very good defense. You have to score in the red zone, which is tough. But I think the style that 40, uh, the 49ers play should have some success offensively against the Vikings.
0: 14 seconds left. Any interest in the total? Right now I see it at 44 and a half.
1: That is some sharp money that's coming down, coming in on the under. Dropped okay. it down as low as 44. I have not done anything with the total yet. Warren has not made any bets this week. That was 15
0: minutes, which means everything you're hearing – None of it is biased. None of it is is already down. You're sort of looking at this with open eyes and seeing how the market moves. Um, it's an interesting game. It really is. I will say this. This is what I said earlier in the week. Minnesota cannot run the defensive scheme they did last week because if you put Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter in the middle with the way Kyle Shanahan runs to the outside, they're going to get pinched on the inside, and it's as if they're never going to
1: exist. But – I that would, is that is one, like Linval Joseph over Weston Richbird's backup at center is the only real offensive line matchup that I have concerns with. But I think that you get, like, the use check and and all the other matchups from, like, the heavier personnel. I know Kittle, like, they're very good at defending passes, to tight ends. But Kittle's a little bit of a different beast, number one. He's used a little bit different ways. And guess what? Somebody out there talked about earlier this season he's not good at run blocking. Let's just watch if Kyle keeps him in to run block a little bit. I want to see if he can destroy anybody this week.
0: I'm just going to say one thing as we move on. I was tweeting back and forth with Steven Ruiz. I think he writes for For the Win. And Steven said, I know that Kyle's going to be jumping into some interesting film to make Anthony Barr on an island. And he mentioned my Austin Hooper interview from this offseason where Austin Hooper said Kyle will build an entire game plan around fucking one player on the defensive side. And if you go back to one game, and it's funny, I tweeted at Ruiz, I go, I bet you he's going to watch the Rams-Vikings game from that Thursday night last year. And he goes, that's the exact game I was thinking about. Yep. Sean McVay... Built an entire offense around putting Anthony Barr on an island against Todd Gurley. I could totally see because Zimmer's one of those guys that goes, I have a freak of nature in Anthony Barr. That's fine. But when Anthony Barr is to get through a fan of wide receivers and he's guarding Juszczyk or Tevin Coleman or whatever, just look to see how Kyle is going to stress out these Vikings linebackers with running backs and other tight ends, whether it's Levine Toilolo or anybody, because Zimmer is confident of leaving them on an island, and I could totally see Kyle doing that against this defense.
1: And the other thing that like I didn't see Sean Payton do at all for the Saints is like specifically try to game playing crap against Xavier Rhodes, who is a shell of himself. And they had that one really big pass where the receiver ran a double move and Had a lot of success against Xavier. Yeah, against Xavier, Xavier was totally out of the picture. Then he got mad, yelling on the sidelines, his teammates like, "Why weren't you there?" And all this crap. But the reality is, like, I think Kyle's going to dial up more to attack him and Anthony Barr. Those guys are both can be liabilities in coverage. All
0: right. Well, you can kind of hear where we're leaning. Okay, starting the timer for the Saturday night game. To me, it might be the best game of the weekend. It is the Tennessee Titans, hot off of beating the New England Patriots, Mike Vray might have to chop his penis off going to Baltimore taking on the Ravens and the number wait one wait wait! Se- you,
1: you can't just say that what what is that all about
0: uh, he went on a podcast busting with the boys earlier in the year and they asked him would he cut his penis off to win a Super Bowl he said yes just saying might have to happen going to Baltimore
1: I, his reaction was that a, was a- browsers podcast or <laughs> <what
0: was that? laughs> going to Baltimore to take on Lamar Jackson 815 going to be CBS which means you're gonna have Jim Nance Tony Romo um where what interests you the most about this game right away
1: well first let's talk about the weather okay thank you pulling it up right now um baltimore they're actually forecasted i mean it's crazy the temps that's supposed to be like i i don't live that far from baltimore uh in northern virginia yeah. area and dc area and we got snow the other day like two days ago. Yeah. Canceled school, delayed school the next day. Um, it's supposed to be 62 degrees wow. in Baltimore on Saturday afternoon. Amazing. Um, at kickoff, I 8, love that. It's still supposed to be 57. That's nuts for mid-January in, uh, in Baltimore, right there by the water. Good for football. Very low chance of precipitation, probably no rain. Okay. That was a concern at one point. The wind, by the way, if you're hearing
0: buzzing right now, apparently they're doing a jigsaw outside of this office.
1: Okay, oh, they're sawing something, yeah, they're probably building an altar for you. Um, <laughs> but no, the uh, Baltimore, the <laughs> interesting thing is the winds. So, let's talk okay. about the winds for a second. The wind speed, the average miles per hour, is only supposed to be between 10 and 12 miles per hour, very manageable, not Good. a problem at all. However, the gusts are supposed to be interesting. The gusts are supposed to be in the 30 to 35 mile per hour range. So the key is that we need to get like a meteorologist on here or something. Uh, The one question that I would ask of them is when they're talking about wind gusts, how often is that gust needing to occur for it to be calculated as like a a gust? Like, are we talking about it's blowing for that miles per hour for so many seconds within the span of so many minutes because you know how it is. You can go outside, right? And everything feels just nice and fine and dandy. And then all of a sudden you get a big gust that comes in and within like Two seconds, it's gone, and it was pretty windy, but it's back down to normal. And like, okay, that's a gust. Or you can have those days where it's gusting pretty frequently, right. and it's like normal for a second, but for five seconds, it's windy as crap, and then it goes away for My two seconds. My question for and you, just back. as
0: we talk about weather, would that if you if you if it if you notice some weather reports the day of, would that impact how you looked at this game
1: from a totals perspective? Yes. Okay. And the other element is. We know that Ryan Tannehill likes to throw the ball deep. You know, Lamar Jackson has some of that in his game, but let's just be clear. So if
0: you it, believe that if the wind gusts start getting more more noticeable on Saturday, you're thinking under and you're thinking it's going to impact Tannehill more than Lamar.
1: Yes, but the interesting part of that, 100% what you just said, but the other interesting part of that is that if the total If we feel like it should be an under-type game, then that favors the dog who's catching more points, right? Because every single one of those points becomes more valuable. So it's a little bit of a catch-22. But with regard to the wind, I also believe that Baltimore, let's pretend the DBs don't have to play as deep. They don't have to because you're not throwing the ball quite as much, let's say, and you can't throw it accurately deep. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Because the the non-gusting wind speed's only 10 miles per hour, which is nothing. But if that is the case and you were able to devote an extra guy to the box or shade your guys de- de- down a little bit towards the box, the Baltimore Ravens have the more dynamic rushing attack. They've got more things that they can do off of it and attack you in different ways. The Titans are... Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry, which will be a thumper, and you'll have to come up and tackle him, but it's not as if, like, oh, crap, who's got the ball now and all this other stuff. Like, I did not like it when they trotted out Marcus Mariota onto the field. Like, oh, oh was- guess what we're going to do now? Like, yeah, I know he can throw it, and he can also run it, and he can hand it off, but, like, I don't know. That, that's, that's we'll see if that works. EDSR matchup. Who has the advantage? Okay, let's tab over to that document. Um, EDSR, from a season-long perspective, the Baltimore Ravens um, have the edge there. Uh, That shouldn't be that big of a surprise. Better offensively, better defensively as well. Um, And if we go just the last few weeks, which hold on I'm going to scrape out week 17 real quick for you because Baltimore didn't care about week 17 nor did Tennessee's opponent which was the Houston Texans um, so as I run this we're doing this real time here Love for it. you guys as we run this okay massive edge for Baltimore here Tennessee's defense ranks second worst wow from the the last basically the last four weeks of the season pre-week 17 second worst, whereas Baltimore's ranks fourth best. They've definitely improved defensively. Their secondary's gotten better and healthier, and Baltimore's offense, number one in the NFL, Tennessee's around a top ten, but you add everything up, and it's still big time in favor of Baltimore from an EDSR perspective. Of course, the spread is high, too. Speaking
0: of injuries, did not practice on Wednesday. Jayon Brown, linebacker for the Titans, Adoree Jackson. This foot injury sounds like a serious thing. Titans local media is saying it looks like he's not going to play in
1: this game. Really? See, I haven't heard that, so that's interesting. Pull that, up Pull that up and tell me a bit more about it, because what I heard from Paul Kuharski was that I thought he was dealing with like a hamstring or something, and he had this injury. Lead, he didn't play for a while. He played he last
2: week four in games New England. The regular
0: season, he played in every snap of the Patriots game except for three. Uh, but it looks like it might be one and done. Um, really? Yeah,
1: because okay. I thought that that what Paul Kuharski reported yesterday is that it looks like it's just maintenance like this guy's got a weakened hamstring or whatever the actual injury is we don't want to use him in practice. We already know he could. He either can play or he can't play, but he, the guy doesn't need to practice right now, you know so what? we there's just a, sit him. A,
0: there's a lot of questions right now about Adori. so that okay. might be a game-time decision Okay, we're going to see. Yeah,
1: I was under the impression that they're just not going to practice him at all, let him rest gotcha. up so that we can use him or lose him in this game, but there's no point in like having him tweak it in practice. And the big
0: injury question for the Ravens is Mark Ingram. Which does not doing.
1: look good because for, ever since Ingram first heard it, he has not practiced at all, like not limited, not anything. He's just not practiced. And the team had like literally two weeks off because of the week 17 resting. And as of Wednesday, he still hadn't practiced. Still this is a, a Saturday game, which means that. Wednesday's practice is really Thursday's practice. Um, they're not going to practice Friday, right? So everything's pushed up a day. Interesting. So that does not look good for them. And I like Mark Ingram. You know, of running course. backs. How much are they factor, especially in this style of offense? But like the attitude that he brings, uh, I think works around the rest of the team. If but this is play, one,
0: if he doesn't play. My left go prediction: This will be the Gus Edwards coming out
1: part. Yeah, I, I really—that's the thing about it. From a production standpoint, maybe a teeny Gus drop is a off. Top
0: ten yards per carry guy in the NFL this year.
1: Ba- it's barely noticeable, but from like some of the non-measurable type elements of what he brings and right. like the swagger yes. that he has, like he definitely added some swagger to that team when, course, once he got. But you there. could
0: also get the win one for the Gipper mentality.
1: I think they're. I don't think the no. loss of him is going to be a factor. I think whatever is hurt is going to be amplified by first playoff game, Lamar Jackson. Yes. All he's been talking about the whole year Let's move to is the I don't game. care about reviews. We spent a lot of time Awards. on, on I want the, Super on Bowl. the one thing that
0: I knew you were talking about before the show was the familiarity of the Titans with the Patriots and how they're not going to have that advantage this week. If there was other things you want to talk about first, please go into it. I just wasn't sure. I wanted to make sure you touched on
1: that. Yeah, let's touch on that. But first, I want to go into both of these teams. What is one recipe for success that they each have had in common so far this season that you guys need to be at home watching for is pre-snap motion and play action. So two different elements as terms of when the disguise is occurring one is motion where the quarterback is most of the time under center in shotgun and somebody's running side to side or moving around the formation that's called pre-snap motion before he snaps the ball what a defense does is oftentimes you follow this guy you yeah. know what type of coverage it is all these types that. of things these two teams are top four in the nfl in their usage of pre-snap motion they are also top three in in the NFL, in usage of play action. So after the snap, play action. So both of these teams have had a lot of success with this. How do the defense do against these things? Both defenses, in terms of the pass defense, are affected from a success rate perspective, but Tennessee hasn't really been affected from a yards per play perspective. Baltimore's defense goes from 6.4 yards per attempt when play action is not used up to 8.1 wow. when the other team uses play action. So with Tennessee using it at a top-three rate, they could have some plays in the secondary when they're using some play so, action. here.
0: So the big thing will be if Tannehill hits on these play action. he needs to hit on them because the opportunities are going to be there. Okay. 100%.
1: Um, now, the familiarity angle – which we didn't really discuss with Zimmer, but that's okay. With regard to former Patriots assistants going up against Bill Belichick and that team, over the last several years, like when the Patriots offense stopped being freak show dominant and started being more human, these other defenses and defensive coordinators, such as Matt Patricia and Mike Frable and Flores— have sort of figured out, obviously not week one or two, whenever they crushed the Dolphins, but they started... Fig- really what it is, is when we started
0: calculating the statistic and not factoring in Romeo Cronell and the dude that went to Notre Dame,
1: whose name I can't remember, back in the day. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know him. Charlie
0: Weiss. Charlie Weiss. Yeah. Once we started counting the recent guys and not those guys, it started having an
1: impact. Right, and, and so the thing is they have like this edge that they get, Oh, I'm, I'm going to game plan this crap out of this. Like, this is my, this is the guy we're going back to yeah. new England with this wind. So important for us, we got to get, and then all of a sudden, okay, well that's done, you know? And, and yes. now yeah, I don't have doesn't any, have that with the Ravens. I don't have any inherent edge over Baltimore. Like, I don't know specifics what about, about what they're going to do. Dean
0: Pease and the, and the, the Ravens though. He was there for
1: about a decade. He, he was. And I looked into that. Um, but the game that they played last season, Dean Pease was where he is, and uh, Ravens won twenty one nothing. The Ravens crushed him twenty one nothing. Bad stats from Joe Flacco, but it was a <laughs> game where I think the Ravens were something like twelve of seventeen on third down, and the Mariota wow. led Titans could not convert a third down. They were like one of 10. So Baltimore had like over a 10-minute time of possession edge. They just kept slowly gaining three to four yards. This was before Lamar Jackson, all the, you know, big play type stuff, all the get the lead early type stuff, and very conservatively moving the ball down the field and just, hey, we'll score a touchdown. Okay. They scored seven points in the first quarter, seven in the second, seven in the third. So I don't really think that there's any edge that Dean Pease has here. So you
0: saw an edge for the Titans last week, and maybe people are overinflating that and then going, hey, maybe they have an edge in this one too, and you don't see it.
1: Well, I could tell you that there's very sharp money that is taking the Tennessee Titans at plus 10. I could tell you that for a fact. There are still 10s out there. Some of the spots are down to nine and a half. I
0: see nine here, and I see 53% going on the Titans and 60% obviously taking money line trying to get that juiced up plus 340.
1: Yeah, and when I'm looking at this game, my primary concern if I'm looking to back the Tennessee Titans is how are we going to keep this game close early? Because what is Baltimore so good at doing? Drive down the field, touchdown. Second drive, drive down the field, touchdown. Up third drive, we've got a 4th and 1 at our own 32. Mm-hmm. Guess what? We're not going to punt it. We're going to go for it here. We're up 14 to nothing. Right. We're going for it here. Drive down the field, touchdown. All of a sudden, you're in this hole. And do we really care what Derrick Henry's doing at this point? Right? right? Like, are we going to respect play action as much now? Um if I'm John Harbaugh, I'm letting my defensive backs who are studs play what they need to if uh if you've got the lead let them cover their dudes. We're going to come up and make sure that Derrick Henry doesn't do anything to us. Mm. And you guys can try. We don't care. We're not going to fall for your play action crap. We're going to let our guys up front stop the run. Right. And you got you guys could just try to beat us over the top if you want to. Right. It's it's going to be fascinating, but they cannot absolutely cannot fall behind here or that really neuters a lot of what Derrick Henry brings to the table.
0: Got a minute left for this matchup. Anything else jump out to you that you definitely want to touch on?
1: Um Ryan Tannehill, so the Baltimore, last thing, the Baltimore Ravens have been the highest blitz rate team in the NFL. And Ryan Tannehill has a top five record in terms of his rating, his performance against the blitz so far this season. So he's been really good, but Baltimore does it in a way very unique and totally different than most of the stuff that he's going to see. And some teams, you know, they're blitzing, you know. 25%. 20, 25%. Like, there's a couple blitzes here. You could kind of predict when they might blitz there. Baltimore is just like 40%, 45%. Depends on the game, but just like boom, 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 boom. Just like barraging you wow. with these blitzes. And what do we know about sacks? You take a sack, oftentimes, that's going to cause a punt. You know, it, it leads to a right. punt. It's hard to overcome those. So the, it's going to be... You're going to have to be hitting some of those plays and not falling behind. You're going to get the play action. It has to work. You've got to find some edges there.
0: Plus, it's a nine point spread. It's a big spread for the hottest team in the NFL right now.
1: Underdogs with these types of spreads have historically done pretty well in these games. Like, they get the momentum going. They got those road victories earlier. They won in Houston. You yeah. know they get these. Even though the game didn't matter to Houston, they got it mattered to Tennessee. They get the win. They're rolling. They come into New England, yeah. knock those guys off. The defending Super Bowl champs. That tends to go pretty well for them, and I think that's part of the reason why some of these guys are like, "It might be a little windy." That's the one weakness Baltimore has had over the course of the season is stopping the run. Right. If we could get the run game going here and then pass off of it, you know, it's not like Baltimore could just stop the pass or just stop the yeah. run. We got them both.
0: Time is up, but the total forty-seven. <clears throat> you were saying you're going to be paying attention to the gusts.
1: I'm going to be paying attention to the gusts and trying to get a meteorologist on um, the payroll <laughs> to find out what exactly they mean by gusts because it's very strange. Ten miles per hour, but like thirty-five mile per hour gusts. Like the two don't jive. So how often are these gusts? That's I-, I will be a say.
0: There's one interesting other historical note here. The year the Tennessee Titans with Kerry Collins were the really hot team with the first round bye. Remember, I think they lost to the Ravens that year. And I think the Raven, and I think the Ravens were the wild card, right? Isn't that what happened?
1: Uh Am I crazy. I remember Kerry Collins with the with them but I don't remember what happened in the postseason that year.
0: Uh I think it was 2000 and I think the Ravens won 13 to 10. I just I'm almost positive the Titans were the really big first round buy team, and then here come the Baltimore Ravens as the wild card. Yeah, the Titans were 12 and four, and the Ravens were, I believe, 11 and five. Uh, and they came in there and they made it a 13-10 game. That was when Chris Johnson, all that stuff. Pretty sure Sims was on that team, but just interesting that those that notion has flipped, and now it's the other side. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Sunday. 1 o'clock, early game, excuse me, 3 o'clock, because I forgot they go 3-6-40. And,
1: and I love how they did that, by the way.
0: Another reason why this weekend is great. Houston Texans coming off of a big win over the Buffalo Bills. Deshaun Watson putting on the Superman cape. Going to Patrick Mahomes, two guys taken in the draft with each other. Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid off of a bye, 5-0 and in the playoffs. Going to be again on CBS. Wow. CBS getting a double dip on divisional round uh, playoff weekend. Uh, Let's start off weather in this game.
1: Yep. So Kansas City this time of year, you never know what you're going to get. You got to check the weather forecast. Temperature is right around 32 degrees um, at kickoff, getting up to like 33, maybe 34. Um, So we're close to the freezing point, but just slightly above it. Later in the game, probably not at kickoff, but later, maybe a little bit of precipitation. Depends on the temperature as to what it's going to be. It looks light right now. That sounds like it favors Chiefs. I don't even think it's going to be a factor, to be honest with you, but we'll have to see how The reason I don't think it's a
0: factor, I've already seen Mahomes in a blizzard this year, and he played a near-perfect game against the Broncos.
1: Yeah, I I don't think it's really going to be a factor. We we have winds of 4 to 11 miles per hour over the course of the game. Nothing. Gusts. Nine to twenty two. So a little strange. It's gonna be windier earlier in the game here with twenty two mile per hour gusts. But again, if you're talking about eleven mile per hour winds, ten to eleven mile per hour winds to start the game and then gusts of twenty-two, that's easy for Patrick Mahomes okay. to play in. I don't think that's gonna be an issue at all. So EDSR. Traditional versus trending. Okay, so EDSR uh probably A slight surprise that this game is super close, season-long EDSR. Okay. Okay. I'll get into some reasons for why that might be. Uh, But trending EDSR, uh, trending, trending, uh, stronger edge for the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay. Why might season-long be a little bit skewed? Patrick Mahomes didn't play for a few weeks. He was also playing injured for a few weeks. Tyreek Hill missed a few games to start the beginning part of the season. They've had other players in and out on both sides of the football. So they're a much healthier team right now on both sides of the football than they were at probably most any point during the season, especially when you factor in that Tyreek Hill was missing games to start the year because of his his, uh, issues. So
0: yeah. Well, no, he missed games because of his rib or his collarbone
1: Tyreek Hill. Yes. Yeah.
0: Uh, it is the biggest spread that I'm seeing right now. Chiefs at nine and a half where I'm seeing it. Um, in what is the, the first thing that jumps out to you?
1: Okay. Oh, you're excited. I am super pumped about this one. <laughs> okay. Cause I haven't heard enough people talking about this. Um, and I think it's damn fascinating. Okay. So Think back to week five, primetime game, the Indianapolis Colts go into Kansas City, pull out the outright upset. Yes. I think it was on NBC and Chris Collinsworth was talking about how often that the Indianapolis Colts were playing man defense. Marlon Mack had his
0: biggest game of the season. Yep.
1: They controlled the clock offensively running the football. Yes. But they really shut down the Kansas City Chiefs. It was right
0: after the Patriots played all that man against Mahomes, too.
1: So, well, this was the blueprint to beat the Chiefs. So what ended up happening, here's how it played out, because everybody's you might hear other people talking about this in this level of depth. Um, And they're going to refer to that game against the Colts as the game that set the blueprint because the Texans then followed it to a T. We're going to get into this. But the reality is it was Matt Patricia the prior week in week four. Matt Patricia runs the most man coverage of any defensive coordinator in the entire NFL. And he played Patrick Mahomes back in week four. And he went 83% man coverage, even higher than his own average on the season. And against man, Mahomes only had a 45% success rate when the few snaps that he played zone, 45 went up to 71%, and 7.4 yards per attempt against man went up to 9.0. So Matt Eberflus and the Indianapolis Colts are playing them the next week in prime time. Matt Eberflus and the Colts use a lot of analytics. They've got a nice department there. They use analytics well. I guarantee you they were looking at that, and they said, guess what? We are a massive zone team. The first four weeks of the season, guess how much zone the Indianapolis Colts played? 82%. Oh, my God. 84%. Oh! That's awesome. So So 84% zone the first four weeks. They flipped on a dime after they saw the the Lions do that, Matt Patricia. They went 79% man. Wow. Total reversal on what they did. And guess, look at this success. When they played man, only 22% success on Mahomes' passes. When they played zone for the few snaps... 86% 86% success. This is tough because this is also without Tyree Kill. You know it I mean? is. It's like it's a combination of those two things. When they played man, 4.7 yards per attempt. When they played zone, 16.1 yards per attempt. We're talking about night and day difference when you're playing zone versus right. man.
0: So then the very next week, they play the Texans at home.
1: And the Texans do the exact same thing. They were a 75% zone team heading into mm. the season like through the first five weeks, they see the Colts do it after seeing the Lions do it, and they're like, we're going to do the same damn thing. So they switch up. this is Tyree Kill's first game back. They go 92% man. They only played zone one time on Patrick Mahomes' pass, and they held him to a 42% success rate from man and only 6.8 yards per attempt. Now, all of that being said, I've uncovered what the Chiefs need to do mm. to see success if they do get faced by a lot of man coverage. Okay. Because we're not talking about balance. No other team this season went skewed to, to man coverage against them. Not sure why. You should have tried it because it had success. You mean the rest of the season no other team did that? No other team did it. The closest team that came That's to it. dumb. It's, it's totally dumb. The closest team that came to it was the Tennessee Titans. They still only went... Uh, forty-four percent man. So they played more. They played like twenty-one snaps from man, and right. the rest from zone. So it was a, a higher number, but it still wasn't even fifty percent. Yeah. Um, Kansas City still dropped thirty-two on them. Here are the season splits for what Patrick Mahomes does: man, zone. Let's look at the short passes, one to fifteen air yards. When Patrick Mahomes is faced with zone or man, virtually the same yards per attempt and he's actually a little bit better versus man when he's okay. throwing it short closer to the line of scrimmage throw it short Screams, against man tight ends, underneath let routes. your guys yeah. get the yak throw it a little bit shorter he's got a 65% success rate when he does that versus man the short passes 55% when he does that against zones so he's actually a little bit better against man when he throws it short but what he had been doing and on the season he's actually even same number of attempts on the uh 16 plus air yard passes when he goes deep against man, it's terrible. When he goes really? deep against zone, it's incredible. So here's the numbers. When Patrick Mahomes throws the ball at least 16 yards downfield against man, he only has a 28% success rate and only 8.3 yards per attempt. He has one touchdown, one interception, and a 60 passer rating. When he throws deep against zone, 28% success goes up to 66%. <laughs> yards per attempt goes up to 19.9. And a one-to-one touchdown interception ratio converts into an eight-to-one touchdown to interception wow. ratio, and his pass rating goes from sixty to one thirty-nine. Wow. And there's the sample size is identical. He's got forty-six passes from versus man and forty-four versus zone wow. on these deeper passes. So the bottom line here for Andy Reid, what they need to do against the Texans, if the Texans choose to use more man coverage and go away from what they're going did, underneath. Start hitting them underneath. Take the smaller stuff. Don't try to force it, and you'll have success. You, you have a very good success right there. And, and when you send you can... that
0: preset motion and you notice know zone, we're taking our shot.
1: Yeah. Mm. There you go. So I, I don't think anybody's probably going to be talking about that, but fascinating element of this game. It's fascinating because I think
0: of Mahomes. We're going deep. He's hitting home runs. But to hear those statistics in man-to-man, it's almost harrowing. Well, what? Like, seems, I, who
1: is this guy? And what seems crazy is you've got these speed burners, right? You've got Harvey, you right, got Michael Hardman. you got Tyreek man-to-man is what these you want. These guys can burn down Wackels. the field. Yeah. Okay. But the reality is he, so he's not quite as So you expect the head. Texans
0: to play a ton of man-to-man in this game?
1: I think that Bill O'Brien is a creature of habit. He does what he normally does. Yeah, but they've already faced each other this season and had success doing it. Right, that's why I'm saying he saw success, he's gonna go back to it. Uh, Even though they played zone before, I think he's like, this is is what we're gonna do because it worked against this opponent, so we're gonna Mm. do it again. What that does is it loses its illusion of disguise. Andy Reid's got two weeks to know. Like, we got the opportunity, we might be facing a lot of man here, Hopefully, they're looking, they got an analytics guy who's given him some of these types of numbers, let him know that we can work some of these underneath things a a little bit more. uh,
0: Andy reminds me a lot of Kyle, where we talk about some people need analytics and some people just baked into who they are. Yeah. And they just know what to do. That feels like
1: it. Yeah. Working with Andy, um, I'm I'm sure it's, he knows a lot of this stuff inherently. Like, it's an innate. Right. He's such a good. He's so good. I mean, other things that we could talk about about this game. Andy Reid off of a buy. Oh. Andy Reed with extra time to prepare. Yeah. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL. In those scenarios, what else jumps out to you with this game? No, Juan Thornhill for the Chiefs.
0: No safety. I've seen some reports that they're thinking about moving Tyron Matthew to guard the slot. Also, looks like Will Fuller is going to be back. Right. No, Juan Thornhill plus Will Fuller. That's a big
1: bump up for the Houston Texans. It's a big bump up. The other thing that was interesting when I looked into the first matchup is as soon as the chiefs took a little early lead in that first half of the game, Yeah, they went up big. They went up big. And, but in the first, it was like 10 to three at one point in midway through the first quarter, it was like 17 to three, too. then it grew. Yeah. Then it grew. They scored again. He, uh, the Texans just were like, Effort, We're going fast as hell. So they, they were went, down tell like...
0: Tell me if I'm right. They went hurry up, and I felt like the way they attacked the Chiefs... Remember, no Chris Jones in that game. Oh, yeah. No Eric Fisher. Tons of injuries all over the place. The Texans went hurry up, and it was a tons of flats and underneath throws to tight ends. I felt like it was... they. They were just like oh, you're going to drop back? We're just going to dump it off. And it was like 15 play drives for the Texans. There was also a huge fumble in the first half for the Chiefs inside their own five that gave the Texans a quick touchdown. It was a game that it looks, it was a great win, but it skewed with all those little mistakes for the Texans.
1: Right. And you you really should go back if you can and watch the game, not you, but just the people out there at home, because it was an interesting game. There was a lot of turnovers. There was a fumble that the uh, Chiefs ran in for a touchdown that got called back. And it and, was clearly a fumble. Yeah, and, and so that was pretty ridiculous. There was also another play where I forget exactly what it was, but I remember being pissed off during the game at that call um, that should have gone in the Chiefs. I interrupted you.
0: Where were you going, though, with the Texans' offense and the way they were using hurry-up?
1: Uh, well, then when they got to the second half, they went completely slow down. They get, went completely like, oh, we saw the Colts do this. Let's get slowed Let's down. Them. So, yeah. They used hurry up, and I've seen this in some of their games, like looking on a game-by-game basis of what their first half pace of play is. If they fall down early, it's just like guns blazing. we're going to go super fast here. Um, Which might be good for Deshaun. Yeah, look, Deshaun puts up great numbers and seems to be efficient when it's like, oh, it's all me? Okay, now I'm going to play that role. Saturday. Right. I'm going to play that role. It's on me now. So um, the thing is, you're right. It's very important to talk about those injuries for the Chiefs. Yeah, That was the first game that Tyreek Hill came back. And Andy Reid's trying to figure out, how am I going to use Tyreek? Because I was using some of Miko in that role. And then what am I going to do with Miko And you know, he's off of like, they're reeling at this point. Let's think back to their mentality. They're reeling from just losing a home primetime game to the freaking Colts who were starting Jacoby Brissett. And they were like, the chiefs were a big favorite in that that, game. That
0: Lions game two weeks before was like a national story where people started talking about this man to man blueprint against Patrick
1: Mahomes for sure. So I I think that that point in time, there was a lot of question marks internally about like, what are we going to do? And how are we going to do this? And how are we going to attack this? All of a sudden they get dealt, dealt this card where another team's decided to go fucking man-to-man on us all the time. Oh, my God, is this what everybody's going to do? How am I going to use these receivers? And then you were right. Defensively, they were without Chris Jones. Offensively, they're without Eric Fisher. These are two massively important guys, the two – Arguably the most important guys on each line there. Um, and so now they got these guys back. Like you're not gonna be able to run like they did in that second half with Chris Jones there now. Right. So uh anything
0: else from this game? We got a minute and a half left that really jumps out to you. N-
1: I mean, what do you what do you think? Where do you see this game? Uh it's interesting because I look the
0: Texans are one of those teams where as the game's going on, I need to see what mode Deshaun Watson is in. I mean, the when they're down 13 nothing to the Bills, I'm sitting there going Bill O'Brien with a deficit at halftime. This is I mean, we were tweeting about it. We're like they're done. And then Deshaun ruins everything that makes sense. I look at Mahomes, I look at the Chiefs. very much like Russ. I look at Mahomes, I look at the chiefs and Mahomes is a little bit opposite where if he gets down, I feel like he presses a lot and he's like, I want to show that I'm the fucking man. But if he starts clicking early, it's like he might hang 60 on you. Um, I, I, the chiefs, you know, I think about that one divisional round where they had a buy and they lost to the Steelers. Uh, But that was an Alex Smith led chiefs team. That was his last game there that led to Patrick Mahomes. Um, this to me feels, again, like a Chiefs team that's going to be man on a mission and the Texans maybe just put it all out there coming back from the Bills. But the, the Will Fuller playing no one Thornhill, if they can score on a few of those big plays, it could be really interesting. This is, to me, the biggest crapshoot of the weekend for me, of the two. That's, that's kind of where I, I, I wouldn't even know where to go in this game. That's our alarm.
1: I couldn't even tell if that was the alarm or these guys doing their work out there. If man. we
0: walk out there, there better be the Great Wall of China surrounding this because there
1: was you know, a super cool like Lego set out there earlier today. I, I wish I could take that home for my son. That thing right, was awesome.
0: So just as we wrap this up, the alarm has gone off. The nine and a half to the Chiefs mm-hmm. over and under of fifty one.
1: Okay, so just sharp, de- definite. Just look at where the line opened. Look at where it is now. That is where the sharp money has gone in where this game. Where did go? I don't have the open. It opened at seven and a half and a total of right around forty nine. Oh, so it's all gone. so over. In the Chiefs. sharp money is over in Chiefs, and um, you know I think some of us believe that the Kansas City Chiefs defense is better than what they uh, what people think of them. And I when know. I went and when I looked back at you know this team, like when they played the Bears, for example, and it looked like oh some money is coming on the Bears, maybe the Bears sort of a semi sharp underdog play. I I fucking knew that there is no way that offense is going to do anything against Patrick Mahomes. uh, Sorry, against this Chiefs defense. And the way the Chiefs defense is playing right now, it's going to be really hard to beat them again in Arrowhead again. Like, I just don't know that I see that.
0: Yeah, I feel, I I do,
1: Mm.
0: just Deshaun Watson, he's reaching Russell Wilson levels of
1: I don't know what he's going to do. And I, I also worry about the Texans' defense in general because, and first of all, the JJ Watt angle, I want to see what this guy does. Bill O'Brien's talking about this one play that he made, this big hit, and it really fired up the home crowd. And that was the turning point for our team. I'm like, dude, like, JJ Watt was not that big of a factor in that game. Mm-hmm. That was Brian Dayball calling dumb crap. That was Josh Allen doing dumb crap. Yeah. Like, that was not JJ Watt made a tackle, and the crowd really helped us win this game. Not a chance. So, J.J. Watt's not going to make one tackle in this other game to win it. That's for damn sure.
0: We have seen this matchup many times. Seahawks, Packers, playoffs. It is the shortest spread of the weekend. I'm seeing it right now at four. What are you seeing? Packers favored by four at home?
1: Four and a half. It started to move towards Green Bay. Uh, Money has come in between yesterday afternoon and today. Most spots now four and a half.
0: Uh, it's the most amount of money bet on the spread towards one side, and that is going towards the Seahawks. Public is liking the four points for the Seahawks. All of the money right now, more than 62%, the most, is going to the under in this game, which is 47. It is also the one that is likely to have the biggest weather implications. Let's start there. Appleton, Wisconsin, weatherman, meteorologist Warren Sharp, what are you seeing?
1: Okay, so this is the late game, and it's later than usual on a Sunday. It's very weird. No games in the season ever re- really kick off at 640. So 640. we got a special, special uh, kickoff time here. So what is that, 540 central time? So we're seeing very cold wind, Ooh. very cold. 17 to, like, I'd say the high during the kick during the game is probably going to be at the start of the game, and that, that's going to be probably around, like, 19 to 20 degrees. Leftco PR. This is what I think that Aaron Rodgers should do. Aaron,
0: before the game, put a little bit of water on that beautiful stash of yours, buddy. You know why? Because second, third quarter, icicles. You win this game with icicles on your mustache, put it on your Hall of Fame reel. This man can play in any weather. That's my advice for him. As a man with a stash, do you like that advice?
1: It's it's good. I thought you were going to talk about, like, smear some Vaseline, and that helps. Have you heard of the guys who rub the Vaseline on their arms and everything? Oh, that's a good move. Yeah, oh, because so it keeps the heat in. Like DK it,
0: Metcalf has already come out and said he's not wearing sleeves for the game.
1: Guns out, Appreciate suns it. out, even if it's cold. Exactly. Yeah. All right, so the weather— how- Cold as crap. Feels like temperature is going to be 15 to 17 degrees. That's wow. obviously not super cold. That's not Russell Wilson playing in Minnesota outdoors, that game when it was, like, 3 degrees outside. Yeah. That cold— very low chance of precipitation. Okay. If there is any, it's obviously going to be snow, but I don't think that's going to be a factor. And oddly enough, it's cold as crap, but winds don't really blow most of the time when it's just cold. Unless so like a the front is moving through. won't be through.
0: out. It'll just be brick. It's brick, not hawk.
1: There is, here we could tell the meteorologist, I don't need his help on this game. Six mile per hour winds, gusts are staying at six miles per hour. So there's zero, literally no gusts. It's so when just, it's
0: just cold,
1: does that impact anything? Yeah, the football starts to get a little bit harder in those colder temperatures, but I don't think I've looked and I've done the research on field goal distances yeah, and things yeah. of that nature because you're working with the K ball and all that type right. of crap. So we're all over that. It's not really going to factor in. The, some people bet the, the under right because the some people bet the under on these games because they think they're not going to do much because it's cold. Yeah, dude, sixty-two and a half the percent bet the under range. The only thing that it does affect sometimes is if that ball becomes super slick because it's just like fumbles. cold. Some fumbles as well as like passes down the field, even if it's like 20 yards, like the receivers with their hands have a hard time gripping it because you're not getting like your moisture in your fingertips uh, gripping the moist leather football because it's natural leather. So two natural products combining for moistness here, that cold air dries all that shit out. So your fingers are dry as hell. The football is dry as hell and it's more likely to slip off.
0: Never thought... I'd hear you say moist that many times in a row. That was great. EDSR, is it a bigger matchup? Thus far, we've seen uh, a pretty close for Texans Chiefs, massive edge for Baltimore in terms of trending, and a slight edge for the Niners, which is the weakest of the four. Where is Seahawks Packers for you?
1: Okay, slight, slight edge, season-long, favoring the uh, the Green Bay Packers. Okay. And looking at the trending, we see... A stronger edge favoring the Green Bay Packers. So we don't have any upsets in any of these four
0: games in terms of EDSR. All no, the, the home favorites. favorites gotcha. All
1: the home favorites are getting it. With San Francisco having the least. Um, but and Baltimore having the most, and Baltimore having the most. But the interesting part here is the reason why Green Bay is on the trending, looking even stronger. It's not because of their offense, which quite frankly has looked like crap. Right. It's because of their defense. Their defense has looked pretty good to close the season, and that is the reason why. why Can whereas I be the Seahawks have a not. A
0: little bit of a devil's advocate. Yes. When you look at the last four weeks, mm-hmm. when you look at the last five weeks. Okay. The last five weeks, they've played Eli Manning, D- Dwayne Haskins, Mitchell Trubisky. Uh, Minnesota, in Minnesota, was the one where they really came to play, and then they played David Blau.
1: Mean, I, I, I got all that for you. You're 100% on point all with right, that. Just 100% say. on point. Okay. Before we get into who they faced, the biggest edge for this game, let me just lay it out for you. In this game... When the Packers play the Seahawks, the goal for both of these offenses, get the lead in the first half, walk into that locker room with a lead. Aaron Rodgers is 62-1-1 one and one in his career in Lambeau when he walks into the locker room with a lead at halftime. 62-1-1? One and 62-1-1. One. One Even and if one. it's like a one-point lead? Even if it's a one-point wow. lead. Green Bay this year is 9-0 and oh when they lead at halftime. Even when they're up by just one score, they're 6-0. and Like, they, it, they've been in a lot of games where it hasn't been 15-point, 20-point leads at halftime. M- minimal s- advantage, but they are unbeatable. Wow. Russell Wilson has done well overcoming deficits when he's at home, not nearly as good on the road. Okay. And Russ, when he has a lead at halftime anywhere, not just at home, but anywhere— He is 65 and 7 with a lead, including 6 and 0 this year, 13 and 0 the last two years, and Russ is 27 and 2 when he leads at halftime since 2016. So both these teams, when they go into the locker room at halftime with these leads, and the other team is trying to change the game plans, and you got these two quarterbacks who generally speaking, don't make very many mistakes from a turnover perspective. Right. They take good care of the ball. Yeah. They can convert these key third downs if they need to to ensure that they're going to keep the drive alive or win the game. They're unbeatable. It's very difficult to top these guys. So you absolutely have to come out with a game plan that has you being aggressive early so that you aren't that team who's like, shit, we're losing on the road in wow. Lambeau to Aaron Rodgers.
0: 62-1-1 versus 65-7.
1: So whoever's leading at halftime. Ink. Well, we nothing's ink, <laughs> but like write it in like erasable ink. Yeah, yeah, yeah. erasable ink. This is the next wow, best okay. thing. Okay. We'll watch that. So let's talk about exactly what you mentioned: the quarterbacks that Green Bay has faced. Because what is the strength of the Green Bay Packers? It's their pass defense. If we're talking that side of the football, yeah, it does
0: feel like Zadarius and Preston.
1: Their run With defense. A little bit of Kenny Clark,
0: and then their rookie that they took this year at number eleven.
1: Yeah, their their run defense ranks, like, uh, in the 20s, and they've placed a below-average schedule of opposing run offenses. A lot of teams ran all over them. And and their pass defense has been, like, pretty good, nominal top 10 pass defense, and they've played a stronger schedule. However, just like you said, if you actually look at the quarterbacks that they've played, okay, in the last seven games, they've played four rookie quarterbacks plus Mitchell Trubisky in the last seven games. Let's go through who they've played since Week 7, okay, Derek Carr, I'll give you his stats in a second. Matt Moore, he's a backup for the Chiefs. Phillip Rivers, that's a real quarterback. Then they played Kyle Allen. He's a rookie for the Panthers. They played Jimmy G. That's a real quarterback. Now, Daniel Jones, rookie. Dwayne Haskins, rookie. Mitchell Trubisky, then you play Kirk Cousins, but it's in prime time, <laughs> and you've played David Blau to close the season. Now, what did these real quarterbacks, and I'm not going to mention Kirk Cousins' numbers in primetime because they obviously didn't play well there and he hasn't played well in his career in primetime, but let's talk about Derek Carr, Phillip Rivers, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Three quarterbacks who I think Everybody would say this is a real, like, franchise-caliber quarterback, maybe. Yes. Derek Carr, not so much necessarily. Derek Carr
0: had a great game, but there were a few turnovers that messed
1: them up. Including the freaking thing where he's handed over the end zone. Philip Rivers blew him out. Jimmy G blew him out. But I don't know their numbers exactly. Derek Carr, 10.5 yards per attempt, 68% success rate, a 119 rating. Philip Rivers, 9.8 yards per attempt, 60% success rate. 108 rating, Jimmy G, 11 yards per attempt, 52% success rate, 146 rating. So all these guys put up Super strong numbers against the Green Bay Packers, and then since that point in time, the only guy that they've even played, uh, who I would consider a franchise caliber quarterback, would be Kirk Cousins. They play him in prime time, right. and you know they just he, he he did not play well. And we saw Adam Thielen wasn't hundred percent for that game, and we we could go on and continue to make excuses. Let's look at some other things for this game that I think are going to factor in. So the most important thing is that the Seattle Seahawks realize we don't just have to rely on Marshawn Lynch and and uh, Travis, Homer. Travis Homer. We can actually throw the ball on these guys, but it's going to be up to them to choose to do that because they tend to get very conservative and, oh God, see, uh, Green Bay is really bad against the run. Let's just run these guys. I will say this. They should see better success when they do run the football because they have gone up against the most brutal schedule of run defenses. If you look at... Let's go back to week, eight, week uh, nine, so the second half of the season. This is Seattle run defenses faced. Seattle's, the defenses that they faced, exactly as you said it, the run defenses they faced. <laughs> <laughs> Number one, Tampa Bay. Number 11, San Francisco. Number four, Philadelphia. Number nine, Minnesota. Number eight, Rams. Then they get to play the crappy Carolina Panthers, who ranked worst in the NFL. Then they played number Chris Carson went off. Off completely. Number twelve Cardinals, number eleven 49ers, and number four Philadelphia Eagles. So we're talking about every single team that they played. I don't know how many i named there. Maybe it's nine teams. Yeah. Eight of them ranked top twelve in run defense, including multiple games against top 10, top five run defenses. Now they play number 23, Green Bay. You should have some success here, but here's the caveat. Your O-line isn't quite as healthy, and you're without your Chris Carson. You're without your number two. Right. How many times do you really want Marshawn Lynch to run the football? What's he going to give you?
0: Those two guys combined last week at like 17 yards.
1: Yeah, that was abysmal. I mean,
0: Russ obviously also, had to do everything. Also, number four ranked Eagles rush defense, and this is twenty-three, which is a little bit
1: different. Right. So other things that I think that Seattle could do, because let's let's not split hairs here. Seattle is definitely worthy of being an underdog. And if Green Bay plays lights out offensively, like they can cover this game. It's up to Seattle to devise a game plan with their injuries, because Green Bay's a healthier team on both sides of the ball with their injuries, to figure out a way that can, they can compete on the road. This feels like the, the most even game, though. It's absolutely the most even game. Seattle needs to use play action. They need to use it early in the game. Have you seen the clip yet yes. of Russell
0: Wilson talking with Brian Schottenheimer about, about the Eagles. how much easier play action is making the game? Russ is somebody that I also feel looks at the Twitter discussions. To me, the 2019 season has been the awakening of media that play action works with or without a running game. Something you've been saying for three years. And it's almost as if Russell has been reading it. Because that clip sounded like he, it wasn't like he was looking at the play sheet. It looked like he was looking at Twitter and going, can we run play
1: action, please? Yeah and look one two things that I noted okay number 1 in the first half against the packers since week 9 even though they played these crappy quarterbacks for the most part okay even in the first half if you don't use play action listen to this you don't use play action success rate, 5.2 yards per attempt, and a 9.6 sack rate. If you do use play action in the first half, we haven't established jack shit yet. We're not going to wait until the second half. We're going to throw play action in the first half. 38% success goes to 60%, and 5.2 yards per attempt goes to 9.7. And guess how many sacks Green Bay Packers defense has had when teams are using play action? Total
0: or percentage? Total. I'm going to say four. Guess zero. Wow. Zero sacks. Zero sacks when the opposing team uses play action the first half.
1: Yep. Wow. And and nine point six percent when they use play action, that's roughly ten. And over the course of like the full game, zero sacks with play action, I think it's like twenty some without play action. So you you need to use play action so shoddy more One play action the first half. Run it in the first half. Run it as often as you possibly can. Because here's the other factor. You don't want to wear these running backs out. Like, I don't think Homer's that bell cow dude that you want. He's great out of the backfield. He's a great
0: athlete. Spark scores off the chart. Sparky. But he also was getting pounded last week by the Eagles after they used him a ton against the 49ers in Week 17.
1: Okay. The other thing you can do, pre-snap motion. Green Bay is pretty susceptible to pre-snap motion. So any types of motion are having a little bit of success on Mike Pettin's defense here. Um, I can't but this is going to be a tough game. I
0: can't tell which way you're leaning on this game.
1: It's it's hard because I think if Seattle had a little bit more health offensively, I would be leaning on them. But here here's what I could just say. There have definitely been games where I have looked at the – Green Bay Packers and I have faded the Green Bay Packers and there are games that I should have won but I lost let's say the game against the Oakland Raiders where they're driving at the end of the first half to take the lead and Derek Carr fumbles it it out of the end zone and then back to back a touchdown for Aaron Rodgers and he gets the ball out of halftime a touchdown and all of a sudden the game's not even close you got the game against the Carolina Panthers where Carolina was doing great there was this uh I forget exactly what, I think they tried to go for it, ran out of time or something, and at the goal line before the half, they ended up walking away with no points, if I'm not mistaken there. Uh, They lose that game by one score, but the spread was like six. It got bet down to four. That was a really sharp side for that game. Right. Um, So there have been games where Green Bay, it just seems like things are lining up for them this season. For whatever reason, they're winning some of these games that they would have lost in the past. Right. there's edges for their offense, too. I mean, Seattle, you can you can have success with them against play action as well. Um, it's This game, like you said, it's very even. I think more than anything, let's assume that the quarterbacks can play with a certain level of um, not turning the ball over. Mistake-free football. Let's pretend they're equal with that. To me, this comes down to coaching. It comes down to how often— the the uh, Seahawks are going to throw the ball, right. and how they throw the ball because you don't want that pass rush to get to your quarterback. And then it also comes down to how well Aaron Jones is going to run the football.
0: Last time Green Bay had a home divisional game, Aaron Rodgers beat Dallas in the Des game. The one before that, he lost to the Giants, thirty-seven to twenty. So it'll be that was you know that was two thousand and twelve. Eli Manning doing what Eli Manning does. Um, of all four of these games, we're not—you're not making picks. You haven't released anything yet. We're about to call a crack. You can honestly call them right now. But is there one side or one total that you would say the thirty-three percent? You're not—you're not, you're not that confident yet. But the one that has enticed you the most.
1: There are some elements of the first half in the Kansas City Chiefs game that I think could hit the over there. Okay, um, you can get twenty fours on that. Okay. Oh, that
0: sounds like, that sounds like crack to me. Hey, crack.
1: What's What's up crack.
0: We were just talking man about how we got some big spreads this week and things need to bounce a certain way and how even the Seattle green Bay game is, even though it's a four point line. I know you're paying attention to line movements right now and sharp action. I'm curious from that perspective, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, have you been surprised or interested by any of the line movements or sharp money thus far?
2: Well, that game opened up three and a half. It's now four and a half at some of the major books. And even here in Vegas, there's a five. Um, so, yeah, that that, that would be an interesting game. Um, did, did Warren give you uh, Seattle in that game? Does he lean towards Seattle in that game, or did you not talk about it?
1: I, I don't know. What do you think? I, di- I didn't discuss the game. Uh, at this point okay. in time, I. I probably, if I was, so I haven't entered the market, and the line is obviously moving in Green Bay's favor. So there's no rush if you like Seattle to do anything right now. And if you liked Green Bay, you probably should have already bought that four because if it's going to trend higher, you're going to miss out on that number. Gotcha.
2: That's a great point. And there are fours here in Vegas. I'm looking at the screen here. William Hill South Point Station's at four. Caesars Palace has five. It's just what a great town to live in to have those options to bet, lay the four, take the five. And you're right. I think that this can only go higher. I don't see this going lower. Fantastic point. Um, let's talk about some of the other games. And you know, last week gave out those teasers, it was such a basic strategy teaser. And and, and unfortunately, though, it it, it was uh, unfortunately it, it was uh, it was a losing teaser for myself. But um, uh, and and many others. You know, I felt like a square betting those teasers going going through the key numbers of seven and three. However. I think it's even stronger this week.
0: Ooh, Uh, talk about it.
2: Well, Baltimore out here is nine, nine and a half. There's there's not even a ten out here. It's all nine and a half or nines. And um, also, of course, uh, Houston, Kansas City line is nine and a half out here also. So teasing them down through the – this is actually the number one way to bet a teaser. When you're betting a a, a team like a nine and a half point favorite, teasing it under the seven, teasing it under the three – Home team, plus it's much stronger because these teams have had time off. These other teams are coming right in from the wild card. Tennessee's coming in. Not that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're listen, they're, they're a great team. Right. I actually made bet, I actually may do something very strange here. This teaser Baltimore just to win the game, but I'll tell you, if I can get a 10 flat or a 10 even on Tennessee, I, I may bet Tennessee for the game. So, uh, Tennessee Tennessee's has, has proven to me that they're 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 fighters, so, but however, the teaser, this this round of the divisional playoffs, very, very strong. They have extra time left. I, I already teased Baltimore and Kansas City. I think it's a great teaser. I didn't even talk to Warren about this yet. So you're getting
0: um, you're saying you like when you tease it down seven points, you're getting Baltimore two point favorite, Kansas City two and a half point favorite. And that way you just need these home teams to win with a field goal.
2: Yes, and I, I look at the sharper sports books. Like a, uh, a pinnacle offshore, they uh, they immediately put a ten up on these games. Why? They don't want teaser money. They don't want anyone teasing games down here uh, to, to under three. That's the only reason why they, they had the ten from the beginning, and they don't they, they just don't want they, they don't want any they don't want no teasing with their shopping. Are you
0: are you seeing any movement right now that might pay to wait a little bit? That you think it could get more appetizing as the weekend goes on.
2: Listen. If you like the dogs, everyone loves the favorites, especially in these. Now, when I say, even in Jersey, there across the across the river from you guys, that's even you know there's sports books out there that they get so much money on these favorites, the San Frans, the Baltimore's, uh, the Kansas Cities. I'll use those three. I think that if you're betting a dog, there's no reason to bet it, rush to bet it. I think you, you, you to wait. I mean, listen. Kansas City opened up seven and a half at the originating sports up to nine and a half of that sports book. I, I, you know, this this could, there's a ten even on the screen here. So I think that the, if you're betting the dogs, absolutely wait. Just like Warren okay. said on the Seattle game, wait, wait on the dogs. Jump on the favorites early. And that's also the next round too. So just, just yeah. I was curious.
0: Like I saw Minnesota, New Orleans. It was going New Orleans, New Orleans, New Orleans, and then Sunday morning, bang, big one on the Vikings. Is that how is that how it works? So the the favorites seem to grow day of somebody pounds the underdogs. Would that be the time then to wait for it to hit if you want to get the favorite at a better number?
2: You know. I don't know if it came to the originating that game opened. They may have. You may be right. That game may have opened at seven and a half and eight, and actually at at game time, it actually went. The, the seven and a half even disappeared. It went down to seven. So yeah. great job at, at watching uh, the market there. Um, probably situational, but that game, yes, you could have probably bet. The best time to bet it was right at tip off if you liked the game. And uh, listen, no one thought that New Orleans. Was going to lose that game to Minnesota outright. Uh, you know, Breeze Breeze was uh, Breeze was literally twenty nine to 30 two weeks before that. So, um, you do know, we, it, do it, we it have a, any?
0: Amazing. Do we have any like Vegas darlings right now? Like a team out there that the public loves to bet, and maybe they're a little bit too high on, and we could take advantage
2: of them. You know, I, I, I just I just don't I, I just can't okay. give you one. Yeah, because like you know, some you
1: years right now. okay. The, la- the last yeah. thing I'll interject, not on that note, but just on the teaser option that Crack was mentioning, I just went back down to 2013. And since 2013, in this round, favorites of over seven points, home favorites of over seven points, all these guys obviously off of a buy, they're eight and one straight up. They're four and five against the spread. Mm-hmm. And if you tease them by six points, you're going eight and one on those teasers. And that's an 89% win rate. And to beat a plus six juiced teaser that is very plus ev if these games were to go that way obviously um you're going to beat the required uh win rate, win rate to cash on the on the So uh, that's a teaser. great way
0: to deal with these nine point or more favorites is they're doing great straight up but you're going to need to tease them to win against the spread
2: that's great fantastic stuff well, stuff that you can only get here on your podcast that's fantastic stuff warren and uh great great uh you know, great to help help out the public. We try to you know, tell them what to do. Hopefully, the sports books don't keep raising the juice. I'm a seven-point teaser. When I first started in this business, it was minus 120 or minus 125, minus 130. Now I'm seeing minus 150. Yeah. Sports books don't want to book seven-point teasers. So make sure you shop well. They're still out there, minus 130. That's
0: why they call Bill Krakenberger the Robin Hood.
2: Of Vegas.
0: He gives from the <laughs> Thanks, casinos guys. and he gives to the public. Download the crack wins Thanks, app. Crack. Nobody pays attention to the lines more than Billy Kay. Thanks, man.
2: Awesome guys. Talk to you. Take care, buddy.
0: That's an interesting stat there with the with the teasers. Because eight and one sounds great, but I'm not trying to bet a nine point favorite money line. But if I can put two of those favorites in a teaser and get Kansas City and Baltimore both under three, now we're playing pretty.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's it, it, it was the plus EV. A San Francisco even pick them. It was now the pl- I got a three team. It was plus EV last week to do it and it didn't cash. So this is gambling, right? It's that's why they call it gambling. It's nothing is a sure thing. And that's a very small sample size. But guess what? It has had success. in. Yeah, that I guess the
0: I guess nine games in nine in seven years. Is
1: I long. mean, the fact of the matter is there's only four each year, right? So, and not all four actually qualify to right, be favored right, right. A, over seven points. So, yeah, the sample size is definitely going to be
0: non-gambling crazy. wise. Which of these games are you most excited to watch? Just as a fan,
1: um, as a fan, Lamar, baby, yeah, Lamar. I want to watch Tennessee do what they do, but I want to really see Lamar in the playoffs. He's talked, screw the awards, don't talk to me about the awards. I want the Super Bowl. I want to see what he does with the extra time to prepare. I really want to see what Kyle Shanahan's got cooked up for Mike Zimmer. Oh man! See if he can roast him or not. Um, and I hope Mahomes Watson turns into a shootout. Mahomes Watson going and back Rogers and forth. Rodgers Wilson. Shit. And then and and then the freezing conditions up yeah. there um, with the with the icicle stash of Aaron Rodgers. Oh, yeah, I want great. to definitely see that. So that's why I love this. I love the fact that none of these games are kicking off at one o'clock or anything yes. like that. Even the game in Houston, KC, it's a three o'clock kick. But that means for those guys local, it's a two o'clock kick. I. Think right. they're, they're gonna have even more time to get lubed up. You tell me that Deshaun Watts is gonna be able to hear in the crowd yeah. when those fans are all lubed up like that. Uh, that place is already super noisy. Can't wait.
0: Only on the Left Go show with Warren Sharp could you hear multiple uses of the word moist and multiple uses of the word lubed up. Why? Because it is an awesome weekend of divisional round football. I'm excited to see how this plays out. You'll be back again for championship round.
1: I'm back here for championship round with you, and then we're back in Miami Beach. And then we got the Pro Bowl, baby.
0: Excited about the Pro Bowl with you in Orlando. I'm totally kidding. (laughs) Warren Sharp, you're the man. Bill Krakenberger, thanks as always for joining it. For Warren, I am the L-E-F-K-O-E man, and we will holla, holla, holla at you guys later.